Can science and the Bible coexist? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese. If you've done any study in science, you know that the first scientists were Christians. Though they were scientists, they didn't put men's theories above the scriptures way back then. The intelligentsia of the day at one time thought the earth was flat. The prophet Isaiah said it was a sphere. And those men of faith who said it was a sphere were mocked because they read their Bible. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The book of Romans tells us they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Well, Pastor Xavier believes man in his quest for knowledge has given in to the God of this world. Today, as he continues this new series from the book of Genesis, he brings us important simple truths about creation. Here's Pastor Xavier at the beginning of the Bible to start today's study. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The message is entitled, One Creation or Two? Men throughout the ages have taken liberties on interpretation by reading into the text abundantly, more than the text contains. And they have built certain teachings on that straw man that they have built often. Both of these practices are dangerous and wrong for they speculate and they add to the scriptures. The second verse here of Genesis chapter 1 is such a verse which has been interpreted in various ways. Some have attempted to interpret uh, the verse as to be in line with the theories of man and others have attempted to explain what God has not mentioned or revealed in the scriptures. The first verse of Genesis 1 here, as we've seen, is the declarative statement of God having created the heavens and the earth. The entire cosmos described by the time of creation, the God of creation, and the totality of creation. The second verse of Genesis 1 here describes the state of the earth before the first divine command was given in the process of creation in the rest of chapter 1. So what we want to do is look at the state of the earth describing the creation from three perspectives. Let me read here the verse. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here's the three perspectives for the state of the earth. The earth was uninhabited. That's the first portion. Secondly, the deep was uninhabited. And the third and last, the Spirit of God was the agent to make it habitable. Real simple. That's what the verse is saying. Now, let's walk through it and see if this is true, what it's saying. Notice the earth was uninhabitable. The earth was without form and void. 
The landmass of the earth was to be the home of man. As you know, we have the whole story now. We look back upon it. The word for earth signifies the area where the human race would live. Real simple. It is used for the entire earth in Scripture, this word. It is used for the land of Israel. So the context will dictate, but basically it means the physical earth here on the planet. The process is recorded as taking place on the third day, verse 9 and 10 of this first chapter. It says, And God says, Let the waters under the heavens and gather together in one place, and let the dry lands appear, and it was so. And God called the dry lands earth and gathered them under the waters, and he called them seas, and God saw that it was good. Notice the declarative command is that God said, that's always the case here. He called the earth and gathered it, dry land, separated from the seas. Now, the earth was not always believed to have been round, as you know, if you've been in school. In fact, the majority of the intelligentsia of the day at one time thought the earth was flat. <laughs> and those men of faith who said it was a sphere were mocked because they read their Bible. <laughs> if you've done any study in science, you know that the first scientists were Christians and they went against the known uh, hypothesis and theories of the day and they went beyond that and believed the scripture declaring about the solar system with Galileo, with Copernicus, with many different things and they were men of faith. Though they were scientists, they didn't put men's theories above the scriptures way back then. And yet, though men thought the world was flat, the prophet Isaiah said it was a sphere. And how could he know it was a sphere? He couldn't go up on a plane. Listen to him, Isaiah 40, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Wow. <laughs> and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. That's a pretty big hand. <laughs> he was sitting in the circle of the earth. The earth was believed to be at one time to have been on the shoulders of Atlas, who stood on a tortoise and so on and so forth, an elephant. You, see, you know the whole thing, okay? That was the intelligentsia of the day. Yet, Job knew that it hung on nothing. How could he know that? Except by revelation. Listen to him, Job 26.7. He stretches out the north over the empty space, hangs the earth on nothing, the nerve of God, to create this fear, then hang it on nothing, and then go like this, spin it. Interesting. Men of faith. The landmass of the earth is described, notice, in an, its unfinished state prior to the specific form that God gave it. The word was has been interpreted by some became. Maybe some of your translations in your Bible has that. Became. This would suggest that there was an original creation in verse 1 and then another creation after this destruction. So that interpretation, translating the word was, became, would say that verse 1 is an original creation and then 
verse 2 shows a destruction, which it's not saying that at all. Some have even interpreted the conjunction and that begins the verse, verse 2, by the word but, in order to strengthen their interpretation of the word became. But the earth became. There is no such allowance in the text. This interprets verse 2 as an event of destruction rather than the state of the earth's condition in its unfinished state. Big difference changing one little word, okay? Now, the twofold description by the phrase has also been interpreted as a destruction by some. In order to reinforce the idea of an original creation in verse 1 and a recreation in verse 2, here's, here's the phrase. The word without form and void, tau bau, has been interpreted to mean that the earth was in chaotic, confused condition due to a destruction. Okay? Now, let's see if they're true. The two words are Hebrew parallels to communicate complementary description of something being described, to give a full picture of it. You say, ooh, that's a bad-looking, cool car. You're adding things to demonstrate what you're trying to point out. It's a really nice car. This is trying to describe the condition at the time so there's no confusion as to its condition, the state. Not that it was a result of some event. You're reading into that if that's the case. Now, the two main ideas here is that of wasted barrenness and empty nothingness being in disorder. But certainly not chaos and destruction. That has to be read in. Okay? Now, the word is used various ways, but the context is vital as a determining factor of its appropriate meaning, as you know. And the phrase is not found that many times in the Old Testament. It's only a few times. Let me give you the ones that are used. This is the very first time the expression is used, which is important. For the formlessness of the primal earth of nothingness and empty space. That's all it's saying. But it's the first time. When something is mentioned the first time, then you want to mark that because unless it is given a different interpretation, that's what it means throughout the scriptures. If the context changed, it'll be evident. Now, the word is used for that which is empty or unreal in a figurative way regarding idols. The word is used to describe a wasteland, an empty desert, a wilderness, a solitary place. But again, the context is important. Now, the interpretation of an original creation and destruction reads too much into the text and relies on two main verses that are out of context. And I'm going to give them to you because in your critical commentaries and commentary, they'll give you these two verses to support that there was a destruction and recreation. Here they are. The first one is found in Isaiah 45, 18. Let me read it. You can turn to it and let me read it. For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, 
who has established it, who did not create it in vain, Tau, who formed Yatser, it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, the context is the warning of God to those opposing God, Israel, declaring that he commands nature. He's the creator of mankind. He's in command and control and can predict the future. In fact, he names Cyrus by name to predict, and then he predicts the kingdom age in chapter 45, the verse 8 through 17. That's the context, okay, of that passage. The focus being that God speaks openly and clear to man by his revelation. That's what he's telling Israel. He's the one in control. He's the one that reveals. He's the one that created everything. That's the context. Then comes verse 18, which they use for their doctrine of a destruction. Where the Lord simply declares that he did not create the earth in vain or to be empty, but with the purpose of it to be inhabited by people. That's all he's saying. In fact, the word for form there is the same one, Yatser, that we've seen in chapter 1 and 2 for the word to put shape to something. In chapter 2, verse 7, 8, and 19, it's the same word. So the text in its context says nothing about a destruction of a creation. It is not a commentary on Genesis. It is completely out of context and totally subjective. That is not a commentary on Genesis. It's the warning and judgment towards Israel. In the declaration that he created everything and he created the earth to be inhabited, it says nothing about the destruction. It's not a commentary on, on Genesis, and yet everybody uses it out of context. Now, there's a second one that is used, and that's found in Isaiah. Isaiah 4, 23 through 26. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form. There it is again. And void. There it is again. And the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they would tremble, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. So they used this. See? There was a destruction. Really? Okay. First of all, Jeremiah is prophesying about Israel's future judgment and devastation again. Second, the prophecies do have a twofold fulfillment, short-term and long-term predictively. When does the prophecy, pray tell, ever prophesy backwards? <laughs> it does not. It's not a commentary on Genesis again. It is speaking about the future. It may be even speaking about long-term wise the day of the Lord when the earth is burned up, 2 Peter 3.10. Do you know that the Jews did not allow their youth to read the first two chapters of Genesis until after 30 years of age, like the Song of Solomon? Because they're so sacred and so critical to understand, make sure you understand the right way. Hmm. When you use a scripture, make sure it's in context. 
Don't build a doctrine and then get scriptures to back your straw man up. Science arrives at its conclusions by human observation, experimentation, and interpretation of the results, as you know. The Christian finds an answer to ultimate causation through revelation, which does not require human observers. God has spoken, and his people believe him. John Wister records that. Now listen to, Gen- to Hebrews. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were made of things which are invisible, but now are visible. You know the protons, neutrons, electrons, atoms? <laughs> Interesting. I spoke them at the beam. Now, the interpretation of verse 2 that embraces an original creation and recreation due to the destruction has no scriptural basis then. But is reading into the text subjectively not being true to the text. And it results in two mistakes. First, by ignoring the clear revelation of God, they ascribe millions and billions of years to the age of the earth when in fact it is a young earth. 4,000 to 10,000 years Dr. Henry Morris, Whitcomb, Gish, creation scientists that, that understand uh, the scriptures, who have the geological evidence that the earth does not support more than 10,000 years. It's a young earth. Also, secondly, by ignoring the dates compiled throughout ages. The Jewish compilation of the age of the earth was 3,760. The Septuagint, 5,370. Josephus, 5,555. Kepler, 3,993. Luther, 3,961. Lightfoot, 3,960. Helles, 5,402. James Usher, Usher's Chronology, 4,000 BC, which would make it now 6,008, adding our 2004. 4 to 10. Even if you allow gas with the Genesis record, all the genealogies, everything it is. And then the very nature of astronomy, geology, shows a young earth, not an old earth. But people allow the old age thing in the gap here, as we'll see, because they want to be one with the theories of evolution and be Christians at the same time. You can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. But I think... Thirdly, by ignoring the most important factor. And forget all the evidence of science, okay? This this settles it. That verse 2 does not teach a destruction and recreation. Here it is. Write down Romans 5.12. Because it says that death entered in by sin through one man, Adam. What did it say? Romans 5.12 says that death did not exist prior to Adam. You're going to teach that death happened before Adam when the Bible says death did not happen before Adam? So there couldn't have been no destruction. That text does not teach recreation. It teaches the state of the earth prior to the forming and shaping of the earth. Those who embrace this interpretation teach the gap theory, which teaches that creation 
prior to, again, verse 1, and then verse 2 and 3, there's a recreation there, allowing necessary time for the ages, as you know, for the harmony of evolution with the billions of years for mutations, so on and so forth, uh, allowing the speculation of evolution of this geological understanding of the earth, which is contrary to the biblical record. In fact, what is the problem with God creating with age dating factors in it? Example, when Adam was created, what do you think he looked like? I think he looked like a 18, 19 year old or early 20s. Yet he was one day old. Date, age, factors in it. That would be no problem with me, okay? But even that doesn't matter. The Bible says God created. He has nothing about a destruction. It is very clear that the word day, yom, in creation here is a 24-hour day. It is used to Noah's flood, 24 hours, 40 days, 7 days, 6 days, 3 days. They're 24-hour days. You can't, people make a big deal about the word yom. The word yom is used in Scripture in different ways, even the indefinite period of time, a long period of the day of the Lord. But the context, once again, is going to tell you. And these, this was in the day of Noah, the days of Noah. The days of Noah means the period of his life. But when it's, this is the first day, the second day, it is the one day. When it says the day of the Lord, it means a whole period of time. So the context is going to tell you how that word is used. You cannot make these geological ages. In fact, the affirmation for literal days is in the summary of chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day ended the work which he had done. And he rested from that. God bless the seven days, so on and so forth. And he gives the summary statement. This is the genealogy of the, of the heavens and earth, so on and so forth. Literal days. Now, this interpretation also has given rise to the speculation and the speculative teaching about Satan's rebellion. Some even believe that Satan, and this is the story, that Satan ruled this world, and he was over this world, and he was responsible for the destruction here of the earth in verse 2. But where do we get this? It's based on the gap theory, that there was a creation and recreation and so they teach that this was Satan's world, and he, through him, the destruction came. Pray tell. Show me one verse in Scripture that would even hint to that. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. But not one Scripture that can tell us that. You build a whole doctrine on the straw man of gap theory? Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote a book, The Invisible War, telling about this whole premise of the earth being uh, the place of Satan and that the destruction came through him because he believed the gap theory. And there are many godly men who believe the gap theory today. I believe they're wrong. They're Christians, but I believe they're wrong. They're allowing ages that are not found in here. They're teaching a destruction that there's no basis for. The two scriptures I gave you are out of context whatsoever. The teaching that should be drawn from the second verse of Genesis is the following, that God is the creator who spoke all things into existence from nothing, then made and formed them for the specific benefit of man. That God designs and he makes this earth for man that he might be fruitful, providing a one-of-a-kind planet and is found nowhere else in the universe or galaxy. In application, 
that God can equally take a person whose life is without form and voice spiritually and make him new and alive. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If God can create something from nothing, he can surely change your life and mine. Nothing's impossible for him. And so the earth was uninhabited in its beginning state, first of all. Pastor Xavier Reese and the correlation between creation and the new birth. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's eye-opening study on creation, it's called One Creation or Two. You can request a copy on CD for just $4. Be sure and pass this along to a brother or sister in the Lord when you're through listening. Now, the title to ask for once again is One Creation or Two, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you contact us. Man has to plan, reason, research, develop, and so on. But all God has to do is speak it and it comes to pass. Learn more about the power of God and creation when you join Pastor Xavier Reese. That's next time right here on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 